the day had come and the lot was cast. At that time, there were about 18 to 20,000 eligible priests. This honor would come only once in a lifetime and only on the preach upon whom the Lord caused the lot to fall. And that day, Zechariah was chosen to enter the holy place to offer incense on the golden altar before the Lord. As Zechariah made this offer of incense and was praying, then angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel of the Lord said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah taking in this message looks at the angel and says in effect, How can I be sure? Gabriel tells him, I stand before God himself, and he sent me. So you will know truth, and because you didn't believe, you're not going to be able to speak until the boy is born. Or in other words, your silence will be your sign of the truth of my words. Out of the southern desert down by the Dead Sea, clothed in camel's hair and leather, comes the voice of one crying, make way for the Lord. John came preaching a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sin. And many Jews came to be baptized, which was a significant shift in their understanding. The message of John was clear and pointed. John said to the crowds coming out to him to be baptized, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. John the Baptist spoke truth boldly for any who would hear. And it got him killed. 
If you think that you have a messed up family, I want you to put that thought on hold because I'm going to tell you something. I have never seen a family as messed up as this one we're about to talk about. And I want you to listen closely for no modern family I know is this bad. When Herod the Great died in 4 AD, he left behind five sons by five different women. And that was one messed up family. Okay, when Herod died, Rome divided up his kingdom through three to three of his five uh, sons. And this is kind of a map representing that area uh, and what happened. Archelaus got this portion uh, down here that we uh, would call Jerusalem, uh, uh, the Holy Land, this area up north into the Samaria area. Antipas, otherwise known as the Tetrarch, Antipas got this area which is Galilee. This is the Sea of Galilee right here. And he got this area west of the Jordan, which runs down through there, west of the, uh, east of the Jordan, down by the Dead Sea. And this little spot right here is real close to Fortress Macareas. Just east beyond the Dead Sea. Remember that. We're going to come back to that. And Philip gets this area up here, north up into Galilee. And this map doesn't show it, but also east out into the desert. So you see, Herod the Great's kingdom was pretty large under Rome. Now... A different brother, a fourth brother, named Aristobulus, married his first cousin, Berenice. And they have a daughter. Their daughter is betrothed by her grandfather, Herod the Great, to marry her uncle Philip, Aristobulus's brother. Which happened when she was about three or four years old. When she was about 25, 30, in her early 20s, 21 to 25, um, Herodias, who was Aristobulus' daughter, Mary and Philip, they have a daughter named Salome. Well, in her early 30s, somewhere between 30 and 35 years old, Antipas goes up to visit his brother, uh, Philip, and he and Herodias fall in love. And Antipas divorces his wife. Herodias leaves Philip. So, Herod the Great's grandchild, which was born of first cousins, marries her father's brother, and then another brother steals her brother's wife, who's actually his niece, and she runs away with her brother-in-law, uncle, and that uncle's niece becomes his daughter, which is proof positive that banjos are an ancient instrument. 
Now, if your family is more messed up than that, all I can say is God bless you. Antipas is the one known as Herod the Tetrarch. He is the one who was king during Jesus and John's ministry. He's the one that John the Baptist went to and told him, it is against the law for you to have your brother's wife. And Antipas, the Tetrarch, responds by throwing John in prison. Now, prison today is no picnic. Yet the conditions back then were much, much more sparse, much worse than our jails. In fact, someone thrown in the jail had to depend on either friends or family to even get fed while they were in jail. Historian Josephus tells us that it is the fortress Macareos where John was thrown into prison. 65 miles east and south away from Jerusalem, down by the Dead Sea, sitting on top of a lone mountain. It is a remote outpost. Sitting in that remote prison of an outlying fortress, John had plenty of time to think and to reflect. Me? If this had happened to me, I would have gotten terribly lonely. Especially if I knew the end was near, yet not knowing which breath would be my last. How about you, friend? When you are alone with your thoughts, does doubt ever creep in? Do you ever wonder if your life has any significance? Will people forget your name after you die? John sends a couple of his followers, probably ones that were looking after him, but sends them from that remote fortress out to find Jesus And to ask the question, are you the one? If you think about it, it echoes Zachariah's question. How can I be sure? It's a longing for assurance. It's a longing for a connection. Has my life been well lived? Uh, Was I I wrong about you, cousin? How can I be sure? Luke tells us that at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases and sickness and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. And John's followers were there and witnessed those miracles. And they took that information back to John from their first-hand experience. 
Jesus says, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, and those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Now, like many things we see in Scripture, friends, there is more than what meets the eye and what Jesus is saying here. You see, Jesus tells John something far more profound than those healing miracles. His words have a deeper meaning, one that I bet John realized as he heard the report. A hidden message in these words, a message that was 700 years in the making. Isaiah wrote, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. And John's disciples saw this happen. Isaiah goes on. Your dead will live. Their bodies will rise. You who dwell in the dust wake up and shout. For joy. Who, who, who lives in the dust? Who dwells in the dust? In Georgia, it's a two-syllable word. The dead. Right? Your dew is like the dew of the morning, and the earth will give birth to her dead. What's he talking about? What's he talking about? When Messiah comes, what's going to happen? Resurrection. That's what's going to happen. Isaiah goes on. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to the blind to bind up the brokenhearted. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, and to release from darkness for the prisoners. And I don't know about you, but I'm putting this message together and I'm remembering John as a prisoner. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And the day of vengeance of our God. Do you hear what Jesus is telling John? He's telling them the same thing we can rely on. And that is that our assurance is found in the truth of Scripture. Remember what happened. Remember what was written. Remember John. John, you have been a part of what was predicted 700 years ago. Yes, I am he. Your life, your preaching matters. 
You see, friends, when we take our role in salvation history, when we faithfully serve Almighty God, our destiny is secure. Our efforts matter. You matter. John died shortly thereafter at the hands of Herod's executioner. And he died knowing he had a place in salvation history. When John told the crowd that followed him that they could not rely on Father Abraham to ensure their relationship with God, they asked John, what should we do then? John answered, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has one who has food should do the same. The tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked, and what should we do? Don't exhort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. See, John's advice is still pertinent today to any who would follow God in light of the coming Christ. You hear what he's saying? He is saying be generous, fair, kind, and truthful. And above all else, Above all else, John said, follow the Christ. Luke records that John said that the Christ is going to come and he's going to sift people like a man sifting wheat, separating grain from chaff, the good from the evil the useful from the useless, those who are saved by the blood of the cross and those who choose to live this life without him. His name is John. Zechariah wrote his son's name And gave him the name that the messenger of God told him. Do you know what that name means, John? It's a theophoric. It it involves a name of God. Yahweh, the one who causes to be. It means the creator gives or the creator is gracious. After this, Zacharias' voice returned and he praised God and he proclaimed John's calling in song. And we have that recorded. You and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, which by the rising sun will come to us from heaven 
to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide the feet into the path of peace. Assured of God's truth, spoken by the prophet Isaiah centuries before Christ came, knowing that Jesus fulfilled those prophecies of old, and reflecting where the Lord had shown up in his own life and having been assured of the Lord's love and presence, John fulfilled his mission. So I leave you with a simple question. Are you fulfilling yours? Father God, we thankful for how your word meshes together that even over a thousand years we see your moving toward that moment of salvation when you would break into history. And we thank you, Father, that we have that recorded by inspiration of your spirit, which still speaks to us through your holy word. And we are thankful, Father, that we can be assured that regardless of what this world throws at us, you are truth, you are love, you are full of mercy, And you accept any who would come to you and give their life fully over to you. We thank you for your anointed who is our Savior when we make him Lord of our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.